Go to God's Word. Uh, you, you, see, you notice that there's no special music this morning. We just we got word this morning when we got here that our special music, uh, the one who was supposed to do it, took ill. And so that's why there's no special music. So pray for those that are, are sick and could not be with us. So we will go directly to the word of God. Heavenly Father, we come, Lord, to your precious word. And Father, we know that you want to speak to us through it. Help our minds and hearts, Lord, to be open, receptive to it, Father. And may your Holy Spirit just imprint, Father, the truths upon our hearts that we might apply them to our lives, that we might glorify you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, let's turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. As we enter the new year, we're going to begin a study of this tremendous letter by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Thessalonica. And here is a uh, tremendous letter of encouragement. And as we go through this study, I pray the Lord would use it to encourage your heart in your faith, in your walk with the Lord until he comes. Now, just as you turn to chapter one, uh, before we begin, just a little background about the city of Thessalonica. Okay, it's a city in Greece and it is, believe it or not, it is still in existence today. This town of Thessalonica was a seaport. And so it was the main seaport for, uh, for the Roman Empire in the area of Macedonia. And so today it is still thriving. In fact, the city has grown to over a million people. Now, as you, if you were to look up or Google it, and find some information on the city and look at pictures. Uh, there's not much left uh, of the original city that the Apostle Paul was writing to back then. Uh, the new city of Thessalonica today uh, was built over the old one, the ancient one. But they did some excavation and they, they were able to excavate a few things. One was a bathhouse, but more importantly, they were able to uh, dig up the forum or the amphitheater where they believe it's the place where uh, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, part of the story in Acts, we will find where a lot of uproar took place. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But it's interesting, uh, as, I, as we think of this, um, uh, this historic city, that as they were doing excavating, when they came to this forum and dug it out, they found an inscription on stone that was an inscription that was over the, what's called the Vadar Gate. Okay, which was near, it was a gate near the forum. And the name in Greek was this name. 
Politarches. Politarches. P-O-L-I-T-A-R-C-H-E-S. Now, what is that? Well, it's interesting that that Greek word was used by Luke when he wrote Acts concerning this very city and situation that it's a word that Luke uses uh, when he refers to the city, the city's officials, okay, who are part of the forum, the city officials. This is the one word that refers to those officials. Here's something interesting. That you will not find this Greek word in any other Greek literature. In fact, the only way they, they uh, came up with this word was through digging archaeology, found the, this inscription, and then all of a sudden, what does it do? It matches the exact word that Luke uses in Acts, but it's used nowhere else in Greek literature. What does that tell you? God, once again, just takes archaeology and it will confirm the word of God that it is true and, and it will never contradict the word of God. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, uh, over here to Acts chapter 17. And then we'll, we'll come right back here, but I want you to see Acts 17 because this gives us a picture of how the church at Thessalonica began. Chapter 16, verse 1 of Acts. I'm sorry, Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 1, okay? Acts 17, verse 1, if you'll look with me, and we'll read through verse 10. Now, when they had traveled through Amphilopolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. By the way, when it says he was, he reasoned with them, he went to the, there, to the, uh, the synagogue for three Sabbaths. How long is that? Three weeks. Got to figure three Sabbaths, that would be three weeks. And so he reasoned with them from the scriptures, verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. Many became believers. Verse 5. But the Jews, and there were a lot of Greek proselyte Jews here in this city, but the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, one of the believers there, they were seeking to bring him out to the people. 
when they did not find them, and they were, again, they were looking for Paul and Silas. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before, here it is, before the city authorities. There's that word that Luke uses that was found in the archaeological dig, the only place they could ever find it. But here it is. So it's talking about the city authorities. So they dragged Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You know, that's what you can see it today, can't you, in our government. We, as believers, we claim Jesus Christ as our king. Yes, we obey the governmental authorities, which we are under. But our ultimate king is Jesus Christ. And when government or any other authority tries to force the church to, to uh, break the word of God and to sin against God by going contrary to his word, that is when we take a stand and say, no, Jesus is, uh, is my king and I will, not, I will not compromise. And so here... They stirred it up, verse 8. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. By the way, that word pledge there means bond. In other words, they had to pay up. All right, you want us to let you go? Pay, pay us a bond. And then verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away to, in, by, the, by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Here is how the church at Thessalonica started, okay? So wanted to give you this background that it was started under persecution. And there was much more persecution to come for this church. So this is a hurting church. So as we understand this, let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. If you go back here with me, and we look here at verse 1. Let's read together. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Notice he begins his letter by including Silvanus and Timothy. By the word, the other name for Silvanus is Silas. And you know that one. We know that one uh, more by, from Scripture. So it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They were all together. All right. And they were here. They were and it was time Paul wanted to write this letter. Paul wrote this, this first letter to the church around 51 A.D., it's believed. And this was a few months after he preached at Thessalonica. 
Now, after he left under that duress and all the persecution, he was concerned, how is that little church doing after we were, had to run out of the city? Wonder how they're doing. So what he did, he, took, he sent Timothy with this letter. Well, first, he, he sent Timothy to go and check on the church. So Timothy went back to Thessalonica and checked on the church. He came back to the Apostle Paul, who was in Athens, and he explained to him, the church is thriving. The church is good. Under all the persecution, the church is strong. And it was because of that report from Timothy that Paul says, I need to write them a letter of encouragement. And so he wrote this letter and Timothy took it back to the church. Okay. So understand why he's writing this letter. But he begins by saying that this letter is coming from me as well as Sylvanus and Timothy to the church there. And then uh, he, he wishes grace to them and peace through God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. But we come here then to verse 2. Look at verse 2. Paul then says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Making mention of you in our prayers. How important it is, dear friends, to be praying for the church. Not just our church, but other churches. And pray for them. Those who are preaching the word of God. And that we might pray also for one another. The Apostle Paul always prayed for his churches. We find it in Philippians. We find it in other of his epistles. That he would tell them, I am writing to you to let you know that I am constantly praying for you and giving thanks to God for you. The key word is giving thanks to God. So why is he giving thanks to God for the church? He's not saying, I'm praying for, for the sin I hear about in your church. I pray for those that are falling away. No, he's, this, he is sharing with them at the beginning of the letter I am so thankful for you, and I'm thanking God for you. What is he thankful for? Well, we find it in verse 3. And this is where uh, we are going to basically spend the rest of our time in verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would. Okay. Let's, let's just connect it again to verse 2, so we'll read them together. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind, so here's the reasons for the thankfulness and prayer, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Here's this young church, and it's growing. It's growing spiritually. And the Apostle Paul is writing them a letter and saying, I am so proud of you, and I am giving thanks 
to God for what I see in your church. And there are three things that Paul mentions in verse 3 that I like to call the pillars of progress. The pillars of progress. And I, I gave it that title because these three things he mentions, they are characteristics of this church in Thessalonica that is, is a new church. It's being threatened. It's being persecuted. And of course, there are false teachers all around. Yet something was happening. They were growing spiritually in the Lord. They were a growing church. They were growing because of these things. And these three pillars of progress, it shows the progress of the church. And I believe that for every church, and here at Jonestown Bible Church, these pillars have been seen and must continue to be seen in the future for the church to remain strong and continually thrive spiritually. That we might continue to grow in our spiritual walk as a corporate body of believers as well as individually. Now, he's talking to, to the church as a whole, but what is the church made up of? You, me, individuals, each one of us. So I want you to be able to personalize this and take these characteristics, these pillars, and see if they are part of your life, your spiritual walk. And we will see that, yes, we have seen it here at Jonestown Bible Church, these pillars. I have seen them since I have been here. And so we begin. Look at with me then at the first pillar here. What is the first pillar? He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. The first pillar of progress is your work of faith. Now, he's not talking about his faith, uh, the faith which brought them salvation, but it's the faith that they now have because they are saved. That is, is their faith in Jesus Christ that is causing them to work out their faith. In other words, their faith is causing them to do good works because they are doing it based on their faith in Jesus Christ and who he is. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you go to Hebrews 11 with me, Your work of faith. We see the, this work of faith in many of the individuals who were written about in Hebrews chapter 11. This hall of faith, we call it. But if you look at verse 24, Hebrews 11, and drop down to verse 24. And I'm just picking one out here for a study this morning, and that would be Moses, Okay. Because I want you to understand, what does this mean? You know, the pillar of progress is the work of their faith. The work of their faith. Well, we see this work of faith in Moses. Look at verse 24. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to what? The reward. He was looking to the future. By faith. Here it is again, the word faith. By faith, verse 27. He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible or him who is unseen by faith he kept the passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them by faith they passed through the red sea as though they were passing through dry land and the egyptians when they attempted it were drowned what do we see here in the, this short brief uh, description of moses life it was by faith, by his faith in God, that caused him to persevere, to be able to go where he, may, he normally wouldn't want to go, to be able to say no to Pharaoh and all that Egypt offered him, and go with God's people to lead them. Why? Because notice it says, he... Moses saw him who is invisible, him who is unseen. I think that was the key to Moses' faith. And it's the key to your faith and mine to working uh, our, our, out our faith. That this, as again, Paul said, your work of faith is evident to us. And how do I work out, uh, as I'm working out, my uh, my life by faith and doing my good works it's all because of faith because i must continue to walk through this life as seeing him who is invisible i have to picture jesus christ in my mind on a daily basis and i have to picture God the Father on the throne in heaven. And I see in my mind's eye him who I cannot see with my physical eye. But I go through, I must go through this life seeing him in my, in my mind, in my heart, picturing him who is invisible, believing that he is working all things together for good in my life, that he is directing my footsteps. That when I, wherever I go, he goes with me. He goes before me, he goes behind me, he's beside me, and he's in me. And so I must see him who is invisible. And the only way I can do that is if I truly have the faith that, that he is caring for me and has a plan for my life. So this most important aspect here, the beginning, the first pillar of progress should be in your life and mine, should be the work of our faith. And that is by stepping out by faith 
and showing one another that we, we, our trust and faith is in the one who is invisible. And we know that he has a plan. So the church continued to grow because of this spiritually. But go back with me now, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at the second pillar of progress. Verse 3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, and here it is, and labor of love. The second pillar of progress is their labor of love. Their labor of love. In other words, any work that they were doing in the church for one another or reaching people for Christ, they were being motivated by their love for Christ. And Paul saw that. What kept them going? Their labor was prompted by love. This word labor in the Greek is the Greek word kopas. And it implies toil that is strenuous and sweat-producing. You guys that have, I know that many of you have, have had farms, and you go out in that farms, and when I see a farmer work, uh, I go, wow, I'm glad I'm not a farmer. Because I don't know if I could do it. I, I'm just amazed at, at, at the strength and the, and the perseverance of a farmer. That they work, they sweat, they toil for that farm. They give it their all. And what Paul is saying is that you, Thessalonians, you, I see, are doing your work motivated by your love for Christ and love for each other. Motiv motivated by love. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3 now with me, if you would. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. So, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 3.13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. <laughs> Excuse me. For they are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, here it is, verse 17, being rooted and grounded in what? Love. Do you see that? His desire was that church would continue to be rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love, they would, look at verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. 
and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Paul's prayer was that this church would know the love of God which surpasses everything, and they would be rooted and grounded in love. And if if, if I'm trying to do God's work here in, in, in the church and any kind of ministry that God has given to me, whatever it is, if I am not doing it motivated by my love for my Lord and my love for the brethren, then what's it going to mean? Nothing. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the love chapter, right? And I can do all these things. I can feed the poor and, and give my money to the poor and do all these wonderful things. But if I have not love, I am a clanging, noisy symbol. I am nothing. And my work, that's what my work is before God, unless I'm, I'm laboring in love because of love. Because of your love and mine. It is this love which we are to, to, uh, to have as our motivating force. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look what Paul says about himself in the ministry. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. Paul writes, For the love of Christ, now if you have a King James Version, it says constrains, constraineth us. But that word literally means controls. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died, speaking of Jesus, he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He's saying here, it's the love of Christ that controls us in the ministry. It's the love of Christ that is motivating us. To bring the gospel to you and to encourage you. And notice what he says there in verse 15. And he died for all. And they who live, those who trust in Christ, you and me, believers in the church. They who live should no longer, what does it say? Live for themselves. Live for themselves. And this other, this second pillar of progress in should be in my personal life as well as our church is that I would not be doing anything that that would be selfish that I whatever ministry I do I'm not not doing it for the praise of man or to lift myself up or to build up my ego but to do it with a humble heart through the love of Christ. And that's why he says there, he says, not, you're not doing it for yourselves anymore. They who live should no longer live for themselves. 
I must be living my Christian life in such a way that I am living for you. I'm living for Christ, of course, and I'm living for the brethren in the church. That second pillar, the labor of love. But let's go back now, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at the last one, the last pillar Paul mentions. Again, verse 3, constantly bearing in mind, first pillar, your work of faith. Second pillar of progress, the labor of love. And the third pillar of progress, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And then let's just add verse 4 and 5. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, he's reminding them they're beloved by God, his choice of you. Remember, God chose you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you and for your sakes. He's saying there in verse 4 and 5, he's saying, remember who you are in Christ, but we brought the gospel to you, not just with a word, but we came with power through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring to you. But now he, he, he brings them to this final pillar he sees in that church. And it is steadfastness of hope. If you have an NIV version, it's translated this way. Your endurance is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way that's translated. If you have a King James version, it's translated patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this steadfastness, okay, or endurance of hope, that Greek word for steadfastness or endurance or patience is hippomone, the Greek word hippomone. And it literally means a bearing up Patiently under a heavy load. Patiently bearing up under a heavy load. And what they were doing, Paul saw it. What was the heavy load that the church was carrying? It was carrying the problems of everyday life. It was the persecution that was coming upon them because they're Christians. And they're living in a pagan world. And so suddenly... Family is turning against them. Jews are turning against them, fellow Jews, and they are making enemies. And so this church, young church, is under a heavy burden. They're under a great burden, and they're carrying this burden. But how are they able to do it? Because of the hope that they had. What is that hope? Well, we won't take time to turn to it, but again, if you go back on, take time later to go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We read about the hope that Abraham had. That Abraham, what was he doing? He was going to a place he didn't know what was waiting for him. He just said, God said, go, and he, he went. And he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. 
not an earthly city, but he was looking for a heavenly one, even though God promised him an earthly inheritance. Yet he was looking beyond. His, he, his mind was steadfast. His faith was steadfast on the hope that was before him. And that word hope talks, isn't, I, I hope so. I hope this happens. No, this word hope deals with a certainty that it's a hope. I know, I believe for certain what God's word says about my future. And because I know what's waiting for me, because I know what Jesus is having, is, is preparing for me, what he has promised me, I will go and bear the burdens of this life with his strength and I, will, and I won't give up. And that's why Paul's saying, I can see you're growing spiritually because you won't give up under the pressure. Dear Christian, don't give up under the pressure. You may be trying to do something, but there's hope. Uh, let me see here. Hey, brother, brother Brock, I see you. Hey, it's great to see you guys at the very front row. That, this is awesome. Brock, would you come up here for a second, buddy? Because, all right. So, Brock, I'm going to give you something that I want you to do. Now, it may be hard work, okay? So, it's, but, and it may be, this is going to be as uh, representing our burdens, okay, that, that are hard to carry and, and to bear. But I want, but I'm, promising you something okay now i have here two horseshoes okay i have two horseshoes and chain in the middle they're connected by a chain all right there in the middle of these horseshoes you see a ring a metal ring is attached around it okay if you can get that ring off this uh, chain, all right. Let me see. I'll give you $5. This is your inheritance. It's out there. Again, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture that Jesus has promised us an inheritance, a home beyond this life, eternal life, He's preparing a place for us and all the riches that come in Christ, okay? But here's the burden, and I'm bearing it. So am I going to give up, or am I going to keep my eyes and my mind set on the hope, the certainty of what Jesus has promised me? So you take that and try and get it off, okay? Now, he, he's going to try and work to get that off, all right? Here's the $5. And as he's doing that, as we are wrapping things up here, I want you, let's just, uh, I think this is for, uh, this is important. Turn to Titus chapter 2. You okay? Good. All right. Turn to Titus chapter 2 with me. Okay. And this hope, that, G that Paul was talking about was also the hope of Jesus returning. Okay? It was the hope of Jesus returning. Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13. Look what it says. 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is Titus saying? Waiting for our blessed hope. That's what you and I are waiting for. The return, the trumpet to sound. Jesus is coming. And if he doesn't come and I die first, I win either way. Because I am to be absent from the bodies and be present with the Lord forever. So why should I fear? I must, I must persevere under the burden. Even though I may feel like giving up. And you may have come this morning feeling like giving up. My friend, continue, you're growing in your faith. You continue to grow strong. How are you doing? Good? Oh, okay. He, he's, he's working on it. So he, he's persevering. You see? He's bearing the weight. He's trying to get this off. He knows what awaits him if he gets that ring off. And you know what I love? He didn't quit and just put it down. He didn't hand it back to me and go, okay, I can't do this. He's still trying. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. Oh, now he's trying to bend it. Okay. You know what? <clears throat> You've done wonderful. Let me show you how to do it. Oh, you were trying. You were doing so well, buddy. You... Okay, let's see. It can come off. I promised it could come off. So we can get this burden off. Would you take that ring off and slide it up? Look at that. It could be done. You tried and you tried and you tried. You persevered in the hope that you would get this. I'm sorry. You did great. Give, give him a hand. What? It's yours anyway. You. I was planning on it. <laughs> Keep that five, buddy. Oh, my goodness. Take this picture home with you, my friends. The world is going to come at you. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be stress, stress and trials that are going to try and knock you down. And Satan, our enemy, is going to try and twist you. And he wants you to give up on God. And to give up on the promises. But he who's promised is faithful. And he will see you through. And he will carry you and give you the strength. If you keep your mind fixed on the hope, the blessed hope. That Jesus has you in the palm of his hand. He's coming back. He's coming back for you. Let's pray together. As we close right now with heads bowed. Dear beloved Christian. Perhaps this morning. You are looking at these pillars of progress. That were seen in the church of Thessalonica. And you can see these things in our church, for I have seen them in Jonestown Bible Church over these years. And that's why we are still here 66 years later, because we have seen these pillars of progress, the spiritual growth of the members of this church. But sometimes one of those pillars begins to shake.
And maybe one of them right now is not as strong as it should be in your life. Dear Christian, would you say to the Lord, Lord, strengthen my faith, Father, and help me to uh, labor for your name by faith, by my faith in you. And Lord, help me to labor in love. And then, Father, help me to be steadfast because of the hope that you've given me. Christian, would you ask the Lord to strengthen you in one of those areas, whatever it is? And he will. And he will that you might carry on until you see him face to face. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I invite you to open your heart right now and trust him. Jesus Christ is waiting with open arms to say, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He will cleanse you from all your sin and forgive you. And he'll give you everlasting life and you can become a child of God right now. Are you ready to make that decision? If so, would you pray this simple prayer with me now? Just saying the prayer doesn't save you, just the words. But it's what you believe in your heart, and this prayer is a confession of the faith now that is in your heart to trust Christ. Pray along with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now and wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again spiritually. You've had a new birth on the inside. You're a new creation. You're a child of God. Welcome to the family. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for any decisions that have been made because of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that has spoken to hearts. Father, take these commitments. I pray you would solidify them, Lord, in our, in our hearts. Father, that we might leave here, Lord, strengthened in our faith. And Father, we might continue to make progress in our walk with you as we make sure these pillars are a part of our life. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.